Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, fans. Welcome back to another episode of La Jamon Latte. I hope you're doing well, which I know if you're in Melbourne or Victoria right now, it's really challenging. This second wave slump, it's just so much harder than the first time. So for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to do my best to take your mind off everything 2020 with some low involvement entertainment and some very light lols. First up, Bachelor's back this week. Yes. And I cannot wait because once the drama died down on Bachelor in Paradise, honestly, I chose to wash my child's nappy bin instead of watching it. And I know it's such an awful thing to say because the drama was so toxic, but it's the only thing that got serotonin going through my veins. That and neighbors. So I cannot wait for Bachelor OG. Also, because La Jamon Latte is running a tipping competition this year. We're starting on Thursday because we don't find out who all the girls are until Wednesday night. So all you have to do is nominate one girl who will be leaving the mansion before the start of every episode. You get a point for everyone you get right, and the person with the most points at the end of the season gets a prize pack from our friends at the Little Shop of Happiness. Head over to lajamonlatte.com to enter and for all of the T's and C's. But wait, there's more. Jess and I discovered that while they were filming in the mansion, Lockie was sending home letters to his mum and guess who got a hold of those letters? We did. We're going to be dropping one of those letters after every episode so you can get an insight into what was really going through Lockie's mind during filming. Today on the podcast, we're talking bad manners. With your contributions, I've created a guide to the most loathed, boorish behaviors to engage in if you'd like to be more despised than an anti-masker. Then, overrated rom-coms. In collab with my large almond latte friend, Jess, I'll give you my top recommendations of movies to avoid this lockdown season, and I'm ready to fight on them. Finally, I review a movie Missy Elliott would be proud to share a title with, Work It. This week, we asked you in the Facebook group, what are the immediate signs of bad manners? And since we live in a world full of unconscionable idiots that can't follow a simple instruction such as stay the fuck inside, it's no surprise that you were all thrashing the keys with examples of bad manners. And look, it kind of feels imperious and a bit uppity to create this list of uncivilized Neanderthal behaviors, but I think that maybe I should probably acknowledge that We're all guilty of one or two of these. I'll just obviously never admit to the ones I'm guilty of. I don't think we're asking that much. We're not asking that deportment and social etiquette be included as mandatory school curriculum. Although, Lad It to Lady was a sick show. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but you should look it up on the interwebs. It was cool viewing. 
So maybe it's not the worst idea if it were included in the curriculum. But no, we're not asking that. We're just asking that when you're in a social setting, you display a set of polite and agreeable mannerisms, basically showing that you weren't raised in the wild like Robin Williams in Jumanji. I guess if you're sitting on a train right now with your legs wide open, listening to this on loudspeaker while chewing on a dim sim with your mouth open, listen up. This is what you need to stop doing immediately, please. If you're having a really shitty time at work, you should take public transport to get there because taking a train to work ensures that your day cannot get any worse. It's a breeding ground for inconsiderate mouth breathers. Firstly, let's talk about personal hygiene. Now, when you go to Coles, there is quite an extensive range in the personal hygiene aisle of anti perspirants. Please ensure that this is part of your regular grocery buy and you wear it every day. Lynx is not an antiperspirant. Wearing that is like masking the smell of dog poo with horse poo. I think that Lynx must have like some Harry Potter magical properties whereby it casts a spell over boys to think that when they wear it, the scent makes girls want to put their face in their pants. But I can categorically confirm we feel the exact opposite. We feel the same way about men who wear links as we feel about men who have dead fish and commodores as their profile picture. It's a hard no. What I'm saying is get yourself some Rexona before you get on public transport, please. And if you want to add a scent, pop into Kemi Warehouse and get yourself some Aquity Geo or some Tommy Girl like everyone else. I do not care how hungry you are. You may not eat on the train, especially not hot food, you jerk. Nobody wants to see your mouth full of hot chips with crumbs and tomato sauce dribbling down your chin like a barbaric animal tearing apart its prey. Yuck. Okay, this one is a bit tricky because I know sometimes it's really hard to tell whether a woman is pregnant or not, especially if it's the middle of winter and she's wrapped in a coat. But when in doubt... Just stand the fuck up. There is nothing worse than being like 36 months pregnant and standing next to some inconsiderate schlep who hasn't even noticed you huffing and puffing because they haven't looked up from their game of Candy Crush since you got on the train and stood beside them. There is definitely a time and a place for me to eavesdrop on your conversation. It's when the other person is present. I can see the body language, really get around the whole context of the conversation in order to silently judge and form opinions about you both. For example, if you're sitting next to me at dinner and I'm with my boyfriend and we've been dating so long we have nothing left to talk about, we're definitely going to listen to you. Even if you're on the train with a friend, I'll definitely have my headphones in, not playing anything so I can listen to your conversation. But when you're on the phone and I can't see the other person, I am not interested. Nobody is interested, so why are you on loudspeaker? Your inconsiderate behavior is interrupting my benign train thoughts. You look like a wanker, so I know you've got earbuds. Put them in, please. If a pandemic hasn't taught people to stay home when they're sick, unfortunately, I don't think anything will. But if you must be a discourteous gruff, as Fansarai says, please do not sniffle on the train. And if you're going to sneeze, as Fan Gerard says, please cover your face. If you're then going to spray your snot particles all over me and give me your disease, please add in a bless you. Offering God's protection to me is the least you could do for the inconvenience of making me sick. That's what bless you means, right? I don't know. Finally, in public transport etiquette, please do not cut your claws on the train. I don't even know why I need to say that, but it does need to be said because I've seen it happen twice 
what kind of person is so busy at home? They're like, you know what? The only three minutes I've got is on my way to work. I'll take the clippers and cut my nails on a crowded train. And what other things do they do in their life that they think is totally normal and respectful, but in fact is uncivil and unpalatable to the masses? Personally, this is the worst. I find this behavior disgusting and unpardonable, and anyone that gets their nails out in public should receive a lifetime ban from literally everything. Public transport is bad, but nothing triggers a Titanic episode of momentary rage in us like an egregiously mannered driver. You'll be driving along in your small SUV, of course, singing along to some Dua Lipa like, did a full 180, as Fan Michelle says. Then some inconsiderate fucker pulls out in front of you and you lose your shit. Like, what the fuck are you doing, you piece of shit? Did you print your license off Microsoft Paint? Then... Immediately, you just go back to singing, I'm all good already. Yeah. Unless you're already in a bad mood, then you are in trouble. Well, they are in trouble. Like over Christmas, boorish behavior is a fever pitch. And I had to venture out into the wild last year. So this Audi cuts me off, which obviously also led me to assume he was an entitled middle-aged man. So my rage outburst was even more energized. After the obvious long horn response and some screaming to myself, I was like, fuck this, I'm going to keep going. So I followed him for like 15 minutes and I just kept honking my horn the whole way. And I only stopped when he pulled over, like he was ready for a confrontation and I obviously shut myself and drove away immediately. But honestly, I think if you're going to be an inconsiderate nuff-nuff on our roads, then buyer beware because it's a dangerous place for you. Then there's also the slightly less infuriating but much more common occurrence of audacious driving. As Fan Lucy points out, that person that does not thank you when you give way in a narrow street. Like, you literally have to lift one single finger off the steering wheel to say thank you. One fucking finger. How lazy are you, you piece of shit? I hope karma for you is getting your car stolen because you are not welcome on our roads. I think that courteous behavior on public transport and roads are something you really learn by seeing what not to do because it's displayed so frequently, but the manners you display at someone else's house are taught. So yeah, maybe this really should be a mandatory in schools because fans, you had a lot to say. Everyone in their lives has been late at some stage. It just happens and you're 100% lying if you say you've never been late. It just happens. But when you are late, the polite thing to do is apologize and explain why you're late, says fan Stephanie. Like, if you're meant to be at dinner at 6, which is the time that I host my dinner parties to ensure I'm in bed by 9pm, for every minute after 6pm I wait for you, I am unnecessarily adding more minutes to my already unconscionably high screen time because I had everything ready for 6. So when you arrive, pull out your words and explain yourself. And I really hope that that explanation includes the words, I'm so sorry. And while you're explaining to me why you're sorry, you're handing me the bottle of wine or plate you've bought because the number one rule of visiting friends is to never turn up empty-handed. Brought to you by Fan Karina. You should know if you live in Australia, even when you're told not to bring a thing, you still turn up with a box of favourites. 
But it doesn't end there. What you bring has to be served and you absolutely cannot take it home with you. I mean, if it's in a doggy bag, that's fine. But if you take home the quarter bottle of wine that's left over, I can guarantee you that your friends have a separate group chat without you in it and they're talking about your amiss social etiquette. Dinner chat, it's two-way, three-way, however many people are at the table way. What it's not is one way, because this is a dinner, not your TED Talk. Poor conversational manner is when you don't ask about the other person, according to Fangrace. This means you also have to listen when the other person talks. So no, you can't sit there while someone else is talking, just waiting and watching for them to take a breath so you can cut in and start talking. As Fan Gabby says, you cannot interrupt them. That is the absolute rudest. Now, it will inevitably happen that two people might talk at the same time, but then the courteous thing to do is say, and you may have heard this one before, sorry, you go. But cutting someone off is a hard inconsistency consider it no and you're not getting invited back to dinner. You also can't participate in dinner chat if you're on your phone, says Jackie. It seems so obvious to me that you don't do this and when other people are messaging while you're having a conversation with them in the middle of the dinner table, it's the summit of all insults to the host. Like, why are you even at my house if you don't want to have a conversation with me? Why don't you go and have dinner with the person that you're messaging? Oh, because you don't eat together, you just sleep together. Got it. I have a friend who actually keeps her phone charger in her bedroom. So when she has people over and they ask to charge their phone, she's like, yeah, sure. And she takes it away from them and puts it in the bedroom, which is so smart, but also so shit that she has so many rude friends she needs to do that in the first place. I know that it is surprisingly difficult for a lot of people to do two things at once. So at the dinner table, just don't. If you're eating, don't talk. Keep your mouth shut, you untamed bore. Like it's literally the first thing you learn when you're eating. Eat with your mouth closed. Fan Laura also urges you never to bite down on your fork or spoon. And once you're finished, please do not lick your knife. I know that's like kind of a challenge if you've had a really lish meal and there just wasn't enough of it. But Laura says she will be like a duck, real calm on the outside, but fucking screaming underneath the water. I can't relate. I love a bit of knife licking. Once the meal is done, remember to always offer to clean up. The host will probably say no, but it's the least you can do to offer a courteous offer of thanks for them having you over and slaving over a meal or using their app to order Uber Eats for you. And finally, please do not expect the woman to clean up, says Fan Jess. It is 2020, not 1950. That's not only a one-way ticket to never being invited back, it's a dissolution of that friendship right then and there. Now, maybe that's a lot for you to take in if you're an uncivilized animal, but a really simple route to courteous behavior, as Emily says, is just say please and thank you. This week, Jess created her list of the most overrated rom-coms, and I didn't agree with all of them, like Sweet Home Alabama is at the top of the rom-com pyramid. So I've pulled out some of her more accurate analysis to share with you. And yes, I realize we have got a lot of time on our hands in lockdown, but not a lot of intellectual stimulation. So I have got my helmet, my gloves, my knee pads, my elbow pads. I've got all of it on because I am ready for a fight. The following, they're not opinions. 
They are cold hard facts, in my opinion. Sleepless in Seattle, number one. You know I loathe this movie. I only watched it this year and I wish I hadn't. Meg Ryan hears Tom Hanks's voice on the radio. His voice only. She's never seen him and she's so obsessed she goes full-blown stalker mode. You can't even call this movie a rom-com because she doesn't even meet him until the final scene when she stalks him down. Call the police. Next. 51st Dates. I don't want to watch anything 50 times. Not even Drew and Adam. Not even Mean Girls. Not even Twilight. Watching the same scene over and over again was more painful than a razor scooter to the ankle. This movie closely follows behind Sleepless in Seattle for my most hated rom-com ever. Muriel's Wedding. Now, Hold your pitchforks because I don't actually hate this movie. OG Tony Collette and Rachel Griffith, please. But as Jess says, it's in the wrong category. Get out of my fave. Throughout the movie, Muriel is bullied, lives in an abusive household, has horrible friends who treat her awfully, her only real friend gets paralyzed, her mum commits suicide, and she gets a divorce. Like, how is this movie uplifting or funny? It's not. It's neither. It's literally sadder than The Notebook. I will never watch it again. Maid of Honor. It's not this particular movie that I hate. It's just here as a representative for my most hated rom-com storyline, The Cheater. Just because our focus is on rooting for your relationship with the other lead character, it doesn't mean we don't notice what a dog you are. The Wedding Planner, Sweet Home Alabama. Honestly, the list goes on. But this movie is one of those particularly hideous offenders because Julia, the bride, doesn't just have a quiet private word to her fiancé, letting him know they will no longer be together. No, she dumps him at the altar in front of all of their family and friends. What a bitch. Oh my god, I'm actually so worked up right now. If you want to get worked up about this too, you can read Jess's full list at lajamonlatte.com. When it comes to the teen comedy genre, Netflix might as well change their name to Daniel because they've been delivering absolute donuts for the past few months. But Work It is as refreshing as your first drink outside the house after six months. The construct is nothing new. A bunch of 20-somethings playing high schoolers, college applications, a love story. In fact, it blatantly copies scenes and storylines from its predecessors. Bring it on to all the boys I've loved before, the kissing booth too. But unlike the latter two, this just works and the one-liners are really well played. Quinn, played by Sabrina Carpenter, who is the hot sister in Tall Girl, is a clumsy nerd desperate to get into Duke because her dad went there. When I say clumsy nerd, I mean her hair is dyed a mousy brown and her clothes are horrendously offensive in a bid to disguise the fact she's actually unbelievably gorgeous. She does all the right things to get into Duke. AP classes, plays the cello, volunteers at the local nursing home, which is straight out of To All The Boys playbook. But in an acceptance interview, the admissions officer, played by Michelle Buteau, is like, you are so boring and unexceptional and just like every other candidate, which leads her to tell a bit of a big fat white lie that she's actually part of the school dance team who has appeared on Alan, so they're kind of a big deal. Side note, I wonder how Alan treated the dance team when they were on her show. Michelle is like, yes, Quinn. Get it? Her name's Quinn. That's what I'm talking about. I'll see you at the dance competition. Work it. And after that, we'll probably accept you. Michelle Bouteau is the sweet and sour sauce to the 20-pack of nuggets that is this movie. It's a small but vital role. She always has these supporting roles in films, like she was the best thing about the 15 minutes of Something Great I watched. And you'd also know her as the host from The Circle. But she is so lol-worthy and takes 
any movie she's in up a whole nother level. So after this little light lie, so many convenient things happen. The dance team actually has auditions in two weeks. So Quinn enlists her best friend, Jazz, Lisa Kochi, who in real life is just a YouTuber with like 25 gazillion followers, to teach her how to dance in two weeks. She goes to the audition and is obviously still embarrassingly bad because no one can learn to dance in two weeks. And the dance captain, played by 28-year-old Keenan Lonsdale, was like, absolutely not. You cannot join our team. What to do? What to do? Well, Quinn is not a quitter, so she starts her own dance team full of misfits who are already mad dancers. And that's kind of why it works, because it's not an unbelievable storyline where a whole team of dancers go from zero skill to being able to audition for So You Think You Can Dance within three months. Except for Quinn, her skill development is highly unlikely. She then enlists a sick choreographer, Jake, played by Jordan Fisher, also known as John Ambrose from To All The Boys Number 2, and Hugh Love Interest. They're so cute together, but honestly, their row isn't the main event and it doesn't detract from the dance team. It's kind of like butter on your toast, like it only serves to enhance the main event, which is, of course, Vegemite. It all reaches climax on the day of the big dance competition and who will win, Quinn's team or the original school dance team? And look, honestly, I don't think it's that predictable. Remember, bring it on, they came second, so you never know. While this is a dance movie, it's not back-to-back, seemingly pointless scenes for the sake of dancing in a dance movie. Personally, I would have liked to see a little bit more range of styles and choreography, but I've watched a lot of Dance Mums and I have quite a critical trained eye because of it. This movie goes down like a good rosé. Can you tell how hungry and thirsty I was when I wrote this? It's really enjoyable and the soundtrack is banging. So while Netflix has set a really low bar this year for the high school comedy, work it grand jetés high above it. I give it an 8 out of 10. Thanks for listening to Large Arm and Latte. If you loved the podcast, a five-star rating and review would really help validate us. Large Arm and Latte exists because of your opinions, so keep sharing them in the Facebook group Large Arm and Latte, on the gram at Large Arm and Latte Media, and visit largearmandlatte.com to read, write, engage, subscribe to our newsletter, and generally get your peepers around even more brunch banter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.